Hello and welcome to Sophie Covision. There is me, Sophie Shevardnadze. Well, theoretical and particle physics continues to be mysterious, almost an occult science. And the more you try to figure out our reality, the more confusing and counter-obvious it gets. Well, I talked to Nobel Prize-winning physicist Professor Herard Hoft today. Professor Hooft, thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. That's my pleasure. We did an interview, but we couldn't see each other because it was over the satellite. So I'm very glad that we're able to do this live and in person. Uh, last time we were speaking about black holes. This time, since we're meeting face to face, I thought I would ask you all the big questions. Because <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to see you next. So let's start with this. Your Nobel Prize is for studying electroweak interactions, the four great interactions that govern the universe, of which gravity is the most basic one. So gravity for us is this thing that helps us stay grounded so we don't soar somewhere in the universe. But do we have any idea of how gravity actually came what it is? is can there be a universe without gravity? Well, gravity didn't just come and go, it's not a force you can switch on and off or something like that. Gravity has always been there. The question is, of course, to uh, understand how to describe it. And that's always the kind of questions we physicists ask. We don't ask an explanation as to why is it there and uh, how did it come. Our questions uh, are, we have to ask, uh, how does it work? How does it fit in with the rest we know of science? And the ultimate goal is to have all scientific phenomena, whatever they are, described by the same basic equations, by the same basic theory that covers everything. And um, the theory we, that we have, and that works very, very well, is the three other forces, electromagnetic, weak, and strong forces, among the fundamental particles, the particles that hold that out of which everything is built, we understand those forces much better. Uh, so we have a fairly complete description of that. But when we try to put in gravity, we see how difficult it is, as if we are missing out on something. And uh, uh, how to do this very precisely, we simply don't know. But we do realize that gravity has very similarities. It looks very much like the other forces, the, the way it acts on, on particles and, and objects is very similar. But there are very important elementary differences. Gravity acts on mass. Why is that? And uh, already Einstein noted that the fact that gravity just acts on mass makes it very, very special. And you can regard gravity as a property of space and time themselves. Since he believed that gravity actually is related to the other forces as well, you might think perhaps also the other forces have to do with space and time themselves. But we're not that far yet to uh, understand all forces as being due to one particular phenomenon. Even though there are very many, many uh, theories around that suggest how this could happen, we simply don't have a real clue as to what the actually correct answer is. So you're saying in your words that gravity has always been and it's related to space and time. And here I want to ask you about where we're all coming from, because a lot of scientists agree that the Big Bang was like the thing that actually gave birth to our universe. But then the theories differ very much of what was before the Big Bang. 
Some say that it was another universe that gave birth to our universe. Others say there was nothing, not even time. What do you think? Yeah, I would, I would favor that last view that time just begins at the Big Bang, literally. So we call, the, call that the, the moment that all clocks are set to zero. And uh, there was nothing before that. So um, it looks as if the whole universe was in its simplest possible form when everything got started. And all that needed to be done is someone to pull the switch, not literally, but um, well, metaphorically. And then the universe starts expanding. Uh, so where those equations come from and, uh, and who pulled the switch, that is not the kind of question that science can answer. Uh, nor can we answer the question as to what happened before that. Uh, as far as we know, there was nothing before that. So I would rather abstain from answering that. As far as I can tell, switch. there was nothing before, uh, before moment zero when, when the switch was pulled. But you know, I mean, I know that science and religion, they're like completely separate, but then a lot of people would say, okay, if you're saying that science cannot explain what was before the switch or the Big Bang, that's because it's God. Would you say that it's possible? Maybe it is God? No, that is just, th those are just beliefs without any basis. And the idea of science is we only accept uh, beliefs if they have some basis in truth, if we can uh, check them experimentally. And uh, the notion of God doesn't help us any because nobody can check that. All right, so let's talk specific. So we have the micro world that is something that we cannot see, that's not tangible for me, and the macro world. This is where we humans operate and we, you know, we, we can grasp things, the celestial bodies, etc. Both worlds are ruled by completely, radically different laws, I would say. Where is it that the micro world ends and the macro universe begins? Where is this verge? Well, it's not true that these to are totally different worlds. In fact, they're all just one world. So all those stars and planets that are roaming around in our universe, they're built of the same particles that we study in our laboratories, <clears throat> the smallest units of matter. So the smallest units of matter make up everything. So if in principle, if you would know exactly what the laws are that move these particles around, then we can understand how stars and planets are made, how galaxies are made of stars and so on, and in fact how the whole universe is made. So there's no fundamental boundary between those worlds, it's just one world. And this is certainly the way we prefer to see things, that there's just one world, this world is, based, is made out of uh, particles that first form planets and stars and galaxies and then together these form the entire universe but there's no boundary anywhere. But do you think we can ever come up with a precise formula that would explain how these little particles, the macro world actually influences, these quantum particles influence and transform the macro reality that we live in? Well science actually has gone a long way to, to say, yes, we do have uh, a very precise view about how this goes about. We understand the forces that act between particles, we understand how to describe them. We don't know where they come from, but we do understand how to describe them. And uh, uh, we know how motion of these particles is being described, how they come together, how they interact, and how they can form substances that ultimately 
give the shape to planets and stars. So, uh, and we know why stars and planets behave the way they do, because these particles, for instance, in the sun, one of the stars, there are nuclear reactions taking place. But those nuclear reactions are described by the physics that we know about uh, concerning these elementary building blocks. So it already all hangs together. There's much more known than many people realize. But our science is a huge topic. So although I'm saying there's a lot to be known, there's also a lot we don't know. So are you saying there cannot be one formula? That needs to be many formulas, some of them we have already, that explain this mechanism? Well, uh, it's almost one formula that already fits on a, 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 a coffee jar. Uh, so, um, uh, or you can write on, on one piece of paper, you can write down the formula, which basically symbolizes all forces that exist. And we have reached that stage already. The only thing not put there, or put there only in, some, in somewhat in, in, in a rather obscure form, is gravity itself. Hmm. So we can add gravity to the laws of particles. Basically, it's very simple. Particles move not in straight lines anymore, but they move in lines that are slightly bent because of the gravitational force. And if that's all you say, you can say, okay, we also understand how gravity acts on the whole system. So what's the problem? The problem is that there are domains where we want to describe the particles where the gravitational force explodes. That's mm -hmm. when particles come too close together and uh, uh, where space and time gets too much curved. And then uh, our understanding stops and we want to have a better uh, complete view of what the equations are that govern that domain. So there we realize there's something missing in our fundamental understanding of gravity. Something extremely important. If we could answer those questions, we would suddenly put the whole thing in a different perspective. This far we understand, but uh, to make all the questions fit together properly, uh, we haven't quite succeeded in doing that. We, but we've gone a long way. But that's not good enough. There's still something missing. I'm so far from physics or quantum physics. I, you know, I'm just someone who's interested in things. But like, to me, it's mind-boggling that you're saying, like you said, we've gone so far, but yet we're missing the understanding of the most basic, fundamental thing that is gravity. Well, gravity itself, uh, we have Einstein's theory, and it works extremely well for stars and planets. So Einstein noted that if you are more precise than what Newton did a couple of centuries ago, you get a slightly different shape of the, of the uh, orbits of particles. Although uh, we managed to reproduce what Newton said by 99.9%, so, so basically Newton was right. There's no question about that. But it can be done more precisely. That's what Einstein found. Professor, we're going to take a short break right now. When we're back, we'll continue talking to Nobel Prize winner, Professor Gerhard Hoft. We're talking about what this universe is made of. Stay with us, don't go away. And we're back with Professor at Hoft. Professor? Because you're saying, you know, if we find out exactly what is gravity, then things could turn out to be completely different from what we thought. Do you feel like someday we'll come to a point where Newton's physics and Einstein's relativity could turn out to work in a completely different way? The thing that we all 
expect actually is that the language will have to be modified. We, we use a certain language to describe the particles. We talk about the particles being here, moving to there, about a planet being here, moving to there, a planet being consist consisting of particles. We use all those words. And those words work very well under ordinary circumstances. But the suspicion is they will fail when you want to describe gravity at a very, very short distance range. Much tinier distances even than the size of the particles. Then things go wrong in our description. And we want equations that do not walk, go wrong anywhere. Mm. And this we did not succeed in. But the belief is we, have, we will have to modify our language to get this right. And that is quite normal. That's actually where Einstein differs from Neutron. Einstein discovered a different language to say the same things as Neutron. So what Neutron said was not wrong, but you have to say it in a different language. And then you discover you can be, do more precisely uh, the equations that Newton ever did. In particular, Einstein found that the fact that light only goes at a finite speed, that's the same everywhere, that fact was not properly incorporated in Newton's theory. To do that right, you need a different language. Einstein found that language. And this happened again and again. Quantum mechanics is the fundamental theory that describes how particles uh, have forces on each other and how they move. It's a totally different language from what we were used to before. And that language helped us to get a better description. It is fundamentally better. Now we understand how atoms move, how, how chemical reactions work. You know, an atom is a relatively simple thing. An atom just consists of a nucleus with electrons going around it, like a solar system. What's so complicated about it? But then we find that quantum mechanics makes that complicated and generates uh, things that we call chemistry. Atoms attract or repel each other. Those forces are quite complex, yet they are basically understood by quantum mechanics provided you, you use this new language, which is a very mysterious language. We want to understand better why this language is there, and I fear that we'll have to change the language again. Okay, so let's try to do it right now. For instance, if we take the quantum entanglement theory, right? For me, a mortal who is far from physics, the way I understand it is that you have two particles, no matter how far away they are from each other, and somehow they react at the same time to the changes that are done to the, both of those particles, or many particles, I don't know. So what is it exactly? Does the information travel faster than light? What's going on here? Well, I'm convinced that, that those words that, that you are not inventing because you've, he you've heard them many times. Yes. Those words are actually a wrong kind of language. Hmm. It is not true that information travels faster than light. We know that f pretty for sure because Einstein's theories work extremely well and they tell you that information never goes faster than light. And in all our quantum theories, also information does not go faster than light. So when they say it does go faster, it means that they're using the wrong language. Indeed, if uh, entanglement is a very special phenomenon that you only encounter in quantum physics. And it, it has to do with, uh, with the information we have about those particles. If you know how one particle is oriented, you can, you can sometimes know how, how another particle is oriented. Because particles spin and they mm -hmm. have an orientation that way. But they spin in a very special way that you can only understand in the quantum language. If you use the quantum language only, nothing goes faster than light. And this is the way we have learned to describe the fundamental particles. But people want to understand what they are doing. They want to understand this quantum language is fine, but there's something fishy about it, something we don't believe. We want to go 
deeper, we dig deeper. When they dig deeper, they find there may be other ways of describing what's going on. And in this other language, it looks as if information goes faster than light. I think personally, that's a lie. Because those people think they have found a better language, but they have not. They found a worse language. The best language you can use for quantum mechanics is only use the language that helped us forward in the past. And don't try to think what it really means. That's good for the moment. But many people say, no, no, we can't have that. We can't have this crazy language. This language doesn't tell you exactly where a particle is. It only tells you where the particle is with some probability. And we don't want that probability language. We don't want to say, well, if you throw dice, you never know where the dice will go because there are laws of probability. No, if you throw dice very carefully, you'll know how to make uh, two sixes, right? Uh, if, if, I mean, a very agile magician might be able to throw dice such a way that he always gets two sixes. If he knows exactly how the dice works, very hard, but the principle possible. So uh, that's, and that's what we want in quantum mechanics as well. We think there's something underneath that says there's no statistics at all. Quantum mechanics is just a, a bad language of something that's much better, but we don't understand what it is. But, okay, because for a an ordinary person, the more I delve into this whole quantum mechanics and I'm listening to you, it still seems pretty random to me, you know? Like Einstein said, God doesn't play dice. You're saying there is no dice. But then, at the same time, you're saying it's impossible to predict exactly, right? Mm. So to me, it sounds like quantum physics is more of like esoteric discipline rather than like a precise science, because it's all probabilities that we're talking about, no? Well, you have to understand that this world consists of particles which interact with each other, but just imagine how many particles there are, how many particles are there in your body, that's you know, more than you can count in any computer. Uh, so uh, you very easily land into a world that is infinitely complex. Well, not really infinitely, but very, very complex. So complex that it is hopeless to predict exactly where every particle is going. That doesn't mean these particles don't know where they're going. They do know. They are exactly prescribed by laws of nature. But we don't understand those laws of nature well enough to be able to foresee where a particle will be going. So we use the laws of statistics. There's actually a very smart move that scientists made in the beginning of the previous century to say, well, we don't know for sure where particles are going, but we know where they go on average. And that has been extremely helpful. And basically, that's all you need, because in practice, it's never possible to control all the particles that are running around somewhere. It's hopeless. So don't even try, don't even dream about it. Mm -hmm. Just say, okay, we know where they move on average. That's good enough for us. If we can get the maximum amount of inf information about that, that's what we want. That's the present state of affairs. That's how we understand how, how particle physics works, how quantum physics works. But it doesn't tell us what those underlying rules exactly are. So what I want to know is what tells a particle exactly where to go, even though it's impossible for us to reproduce it. We will never be able to use that knowledge to make better predictions than quantum physics itself with all its probability uh, distributions. Think of an insurance company that wants to fix uh, the premium for someone who's insured. In principle, what they could try to do is calculate exactly in advance what the lifetime of a person will be and whether he'll make an accident or not, and exactly estimate the premium for that. Uh, 
But that's of course hopeless. No insurance company can do that. They don't want to do that. They say, okay, the, this is the general probabilities. This is the, what we choose as a basis for how much insurance, you, how much you pay for your insurance. Mm -hmm. So that's the same way quantum mechanics today, it also works that way. We, we don't even try to make a better prediction than what we can do. It doesn't make any sense because the equations we do have make work extremely well. So they tell exactly what chemistry is and so on. So when, when I uh, listen to you speak about the nature of this whole quantum mechanics, it, it reminds me how uh, great neuroscientists speak of human brain. Mm -hmm. Because they're saying, no, 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 it's not that uh, the neurons there are infinite. There are a certain number, but there are just so many of them. And the connections between them, it's hopeless to try and figure out each one of them. So the laws that we have so far work somewhat okay. Would you say there's a connection? Does our conscious maybe, our brain has a quantum nature as well? I personally don't think that's the case. So uh, quantum mechanics determines exactly how all chemical reactions take place. And these chemical reactions are extremely complex. And obviously they're of great importance for the way our, our neural systems work. And um, uh, so in that sense, quantum mechanics is very important for understanding how the brain functions. But the memory cells themselves, I don't believe they're based on quantum mechanics. Many people think so, but I, I disagree. I don't believe that. I think the memory cells just contain certain chemical uh, particles sitting somewhere or sitting not somewhere or sitting somewhere else and that determines the state a neuron is in and that's the way we memorize things and that's quite enough for all practical purposes so I think our brain will be able to do very very well without using quantum mechanics to explain how the memory cells in our, our brains work we only need quantum mechanics to explain how the chemistry works but once you know that you can just uh, you know, close the, the quantum mechanics book, now open up your chemistry book. Mm. Then you know how those neurons will transmit information to one and another. Then you close that chemistry book again and, and you say, now I only need my computer books, my computer manual. The manual says that if you, that if you know all the hardware, this is the software you can produce. And the most miraculous features in our brain is the software. How does our brain work? And how, does, how, how are we able to think? And that includes the concept that we call consciousness. So some of my colleagues, they attach some mystic value to the notion of consciousness, but I don't. I think consciousness is just a question of information. And in particular, the information about yourself and the information about your environment, all information. So to be able to, to investigate all information that comes to you and to make use of that, all that together is consciousness and is intelligence. So the next step, of course, is to understand intelligence, human intelligence. But all that is basically a question of software. I mean, we conviction. can't see it. We can't see intelligence and we can't see consciousness when yes. you open a skull. You yes. see neurons, but you don't see consciousness. That's why That's we think true. it's something but mystical. But if you open a computer, what do you see? A lot of... You, you see a lot of wires, yeah. but you don't understand what's, what's, in, what's, what's the information inside that computer. No. <laughs> I don't at least. I, I just see all, all these little things there. So this is just the first half of our in-depth talk with Professor Nobel Prize winner Herbert Hoft about the way universe works. Stay tuned for the second part.